Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast. Oh, this is the this is the last episode of the season. Oh, oh man! And with me today, I have a very special guest. I work with him. He's a great guy. Well, I used to work for him with him before he left. Before he left Hawaii, the wonderful Hawaii. Uh, Daniel Johnson, thanks, thanks for coming, Dan. Thank you. Can I call you Dan or Daniel, or how how do you want people to address you? I prefer to go as Daniel. Okay, sorry. Hi everyone. Hi everyone. This is Daniel, not Dan. I'm, <laughs> I'm a jerk. Uh, no, thanks for coming on, uh, Daniel. I appreciate it. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, like Brandon said, uh, we obviously worked together uh, back in Hawaii. Uh, worked obviously in computers. Um, we met because at the time that you arrived, I was working through the thousand one movies that you know that's right must, must see before you die <laughs> however i had to uh object to that statement not all of them you must see before you die and i was walking by your desk and you had a film about a book about a uh, filmmaking that's right and so i naturally said like oh you're mm. a fellow film buff and so since then we just kept uh we just kept talking about films mm-hmm. uh akira kurosawa yep um and other directors and uh genres and venues and just film 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 uh, you, you were taking college classes at the time that's right in film so it was just interesting to get different points of view and talk shop yeah two yeah. Two, two geeks in the office <laughs> yeah and, and and where where we worked it it's not it's not normal for for people to know so much about film and yeah. so and so really hitting that up, like, oh, somebody else is talking about film. This is awesome, right? Yeah. It was, it was really cool to, to have that happen. Um, so we're going to find out a little bit more about you here later yeah. on in the show. Uh, but just to briefly bring that up, you wrote your own book. Yes. Uh, it's called The Direx. Nice. Oh. Nice. Okay. I'm, we're going we're gonna to tear that. We're going to tear into that. Okay. I mean, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> by, by the end of it. Um, all right, but are you are you ready to talk about the wonderful world of the Twilight Zone? Yes, that, it definitely had as a writer this uh, this particular episode uh, speaks to me. I I don't classify myself as a Twilight Zone fan because mm. I haven't watched enough right of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it, it, it's on my big 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 bucket list of things to watch. Yeah, but uh, I have seen a few episodes, and yeah, it, I can't. Uh, deny the quality of the writing and this, the overall storytelling of this series and this uh, episode in particular. Excellent. All right. So let's let's talk about it, shall we? Yes. <laughs> uh, this is A World of His Own, uh, originally aired July 1st, 1960, stars Keenan Wynn as Gregory West and Phyllis Kirk as Victoria West and, of course, Mary LaRoche uh, as Mary. Uh, it was directed by Ralph Nelson and was written, the teleplay was written by the late, great Richard Matheson. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, so, synopsis, here we go. Mm. We find ourselves in, in I want to say this, it's, it's awesome. The entire episode pretty much takes place in, in a single room. Uh, and we see Gregory West and he's getting a drink. He's being served a drink by Mr. Gregory <laughs> by by Mary, um, and uh, she's like, he's like, oh, is that a good drink? He's like, well, she's like, no, let me let's let the master decide. <laughs> um, and uh, so 
then Rod Serling in his ultimate narrative mastery says, and there's Mrs. Gregory West, Miss Victoria West. And she's actually looking at uh, Gregory West be served this martini uh, through a window. Um, so then uh, Victoria West comes in and she knocks on the door uh, to to his study and he makes he makes Mary disappear somehow. We don't know how quite yet. So he lets Victoria in and she starts questioning him, looking around, looking for a trap door stuff like where did this woman go? And Gregory, uh, Greg, old Greg, he is he's cool as a cucumber. He's like, what are you looking for, dear? <laughs> and she's like, nothing. I'm just uh, browsing about. You know? <laughs> um, and so he eventually she she gets to a point where she says. She starts to say, I thought I saw somebody through the window. And that's when his, his cool exterior sh- shifts a little bit and he, he, he exposes his, his weakness, right? And so she capitalizes that on that and she kind of eventually tricks him into admitting, oh yeah, uh, she's not so drab, <laughs> like insulting Mary. <laughs> yeah. And he, he admits to it. And so then he's like, okay, I'm caught. Let me try to explain what is happening. And what is happening is he's a writer. And as a writer, he gets so deep into the details of these characters' lives that they almost become real. Almost until they actually do become real. And Mary is one of these real characters. And so he's trying to explain this to Victoria, and she doesn't believe him, of course. Yeah, And uh, uh, Gregory West, as a playwright, uh, instead of writing down his characters, he actually ta- records it on a tape recorder. Yes. And as he describes the characteristic, the phys- physical appearance of these characters, it, as he gives more and more details, they eventually come to life. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, it, uh, they, they used to call it a dictaphone, which is yeah. <laughs> uh, dictation, I guess is what it's short for. Um, but yeah, absolutely right. So he tries, he explains to Victoria, I speak into this little microphone, I, I describe my characters, and then they, they'll appear. Uh, of course, Victoria doesn't believe it, and so uh, she she tries to call a psychiatrist. Um, he, he stops her from doing that, and then she's like, okay, I'm leaving. She tries to get out of there, but he quickly describes on his dictaphone just a large elephant with red eyes. She's like, you're crazy. Opens the door. Sure enough, there's a gigantic elephant in the in the hallway. Black and white, you don't see the red eyes. Yeah. Uh, and, and so she believes, so she just starts to believe him, kind of. Um, he goes one step further. He, uh, he pulls, does, does, he, does he describe Mary first? Does he bring Mary into the room first? Yeah, he, he actually describes, uh, he proves it to Victoria That's by right. describing Mary and even describing her walking through the front door and down the hall That's and right. entering the That's room. Right. And then how she and all the characters leave is uh, Gregory then takes the tape with some scissors, and we saw him carrying some scissors earlier, yes. and cuts the tape where he described the character on and then throws it into the fireplace as he has in his study. Yes. Yes, the, the days of flammable <laughs> tape. Oh, man, that, that's, so, that's so great when, when things burnt down because of film. um but yeah so yeah so he so so he he showed her mary first right yep um and and mary of course is like don't do this to me again 
He's like, well, she's my wife, Mary. Like, I have to, I have to, I love her. I, you know, she's my wife. Um, so of course she's like, well, don't bring me back. Victoria, even saying that, she's still, she's not, she doesn't accept it. And that's when she tries to escape in the, the elephant. Yeah. How many <laughs> times has he locked that door? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I, I think I'll get into that a little bit in, in the discussion, um, uh, because that's a little, the, the nuances and, and kind of consequences of having that ability is questionable. Yeah. Some of the things he does. Um, all right. So, so she tries to escape. Uh, the, the elephant stops her and then he goes on to open up a safe in his office and in that safe there are a bunch of envelopes envelopes with names on them and so he starts to describe to her tell her like hey I have all these these I have these characters and I put the tape in these envelopes write the name on it and uh, oh, he actually doesn't explain it he just pulls out an envelope with her name on it uh, and she's all like what's that and he even opens the envelope, pulls out a roll of uh, a wad of tape, right. and she's still not getting it. Uh, when I watched it, I got it. I was like, yeah. um, and, and maybe that's where I'm coming from. Is like, clearly, that's the that's the implication of exactly. it, exactly. Right? Um, and of course, she's like, oh, Gregory, um, and she's like, you know what I think of your your little parlay trick, <laughs> and she tosses the her envelope with tape and all into the fire and she's like oh i feel faint you don't mean you were telling the truth do you and she disappears in front of our eyes you were right <laughs> that that line you were um so of course gregory immediately he does like this veruca salt's father in uh willy wonk and the chalk factory he's like oh no what did i do uh like that weird reaction but then the sudden like Oh, maybe this is actually good for me. Well, it was more like Victoria. I told her. I told her. I told her. So he goes over to his uh, dictaphone and mm-hmm. starts off as like, "Mrs. Victoria West is forty. Wait, better to leave well enough alone." Yeah. And, and then he starts to just he, he rewinds the tape and begins to describe Mary yeah. again, exactly as he did before, but just this time describing her as Mrs. Mary West. Yeah. And we're back to the beginning with a, her mixing the drink. What a happy ending. Pretty much the same conversation. <laughs> and, and then we have the very first on-screen appearance of Rod Serling. Yeah! Woo! And, <laughs> and uh, he, he's like, of course this is all nonsense. You know? And Gregory's like, Rod, Rod. No, you shouldn't be saying things like that this is nonsense. And he goes in, uh, Gregory goes into the safe, pulls out an envelope with Rod Serling's name on it, and tosses it in the fire. <laughs> and then, what, what does Rod Serling say? Well, he, that's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> they kill him off in his first appearance <laughs> well, on screen, and they kill him off. <laughs> and, and the way he said that line, like, well, that's the way it goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, so, it's so awesome. And then, I think my, I always get a smile from that whenever I watch that, this, this episode, just having him be on there and just be kind of like, okay, well, um, and then in his outro, uh, narration, the way he delivers the line. And let me, let me look at this. So I get it exactly right. Uh, he talks about Gregory West and he says, and quite apparently in complete control, the twilight <laughs> the, zone, the, the way he delivers that line, it makes me, it makes me crack up every time. 
Uh, so that's a synopsis. Uh, uh, this writer creates a bunch of characters and they live. Tell me, Daniel, what do you think of this episode? Uh, so my first observation is certainly that it is not a Rod Serling episode. It is a written by Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely feel the lack of Rod Serling. It's not bad. It certainly doesn't take away from the episode in itself. It's just that obviously Serling's episodes, particularly like How, How to Serve Man, uh, The Man, The, the uh, Old Man in the Cave, other episodes such episodes where he's very deep in his moral lessons and it really it either is going to make you really think mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. reevaluate your life you're having an identity crisis from a, a tv show from the 60s right <laughs> or uh it's a uh, it's going to at least scare you a little to make you ponder like oh what if that was real Right, and so this is far more light-hearted than your typical Twilight Zone episode, uh, but again, it does not detract from the quality of the episode itself. Mm-hmm. It certainly gives us something interesting to think about and consider and ponder. Yeah, um, what what do you think? You know, as as a writer, you you've written your own your own mm-hmm. book. Um, what do you think of like the the idea of like your characters coming to life? I know like yours is your book is like a sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> like uh, maybe, maybe not exactly that, but like the, just a, uh, cause hopefully your characters yeah. don't come to life. Uh, uh, soon. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but what do you, what do you think of that? Like that, that concept? Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have a fire uh, controlling Fox demon that <laughs> I definitely don't want coming <laughs> alive and coming into my house and say, I don't like how you're treating me. Not anytime soon, please. Yeah. <laughs> Let me die first. Yeah. And <laughs> um, uh, Gregory uh, explains it exactly how writers feel, uh, both in my own experience. Uh, this is not my first project I've worked on, but mm-hmm. it's the first one that actually made it to full book form. Uh so from my own experience and from other writers, their testimonies, interviews, and conversations I've had with them, they do, yeah, they do describe characters coming to life. You're, when you're creating the character and you're creating, oh, why do they do this? How do they, you know, what makes them tick? Why do they make certain decisions? It does get to the point that they actually take on a life of their own and in such a way that you, the writer wants him or her to do something but based upon the character that's already been established it goes against who they are and what they are and so oftentimes a writer will it's uh, writing is kind of like uh game mastering or dungeon mastering an rp a uh, tabletop rpg sure. game is where you have those game masters who just railroad the story the players better be with their story <laughs> and their objectives or they're out go find another group i, I want to shoot magic missile like you can't you can't shoot that there's nothing here yeah i want to i want to i want to attack the darkness yeah like like that though. yeah <laughs> and, and, whereas other uh gms namely the ones i've always played with are very like oh okay you want to kill the storekeeper go ahead <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it characters oftentimes do take that level of independence like hey i want to do something and the writer slash gm is just sitting there like i don't want you to do that go do what i want you to do right and so uh any good artist then realizes that they need to work around that 
uh, Gregory West actually said that his first character, one of the main characters in his uh, one of his plays, yeah, Wainwright, right? Yeah. A horrible name, horrible name. But, yeah but wainwright uh comes into his uh study and actually says like i don't like how you're treating me um certainly doesn't quite get to that point where they sure. take on a whole existential existence right. uh certainly like case of indiana jones going to george lucas he certainly would not be like i don't like you uh, throw me into a pit of snakes why does that have to be snakes oh come, come on come on george we yeah. go way back <laughs> but it it would certainly uh be indy saying like wait why would i go searching for this unless i had a reason mm-hmm. so that is the type of thing that yeah characters would do like yeah um and so that definitely fits obviously the fantasy element and that's oftentimes why the twilight episode twilight zone episode is is just okay we take a basic concept that naturally exists that Mm -hmm. is real and then add that little bit of fantasy or magic or science fiction to it right right yeah for me i i definitely enjoyed this aspect of the episode like character creation and and uh, it's almost like your children so in in a, in a way, right? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned this in, during the synopsis a little bit, but tell me what you think about this. Uh, there's like a little bit of free will going on, right? Mm-hmm. Like his characters, he admits like they, they start, um, they start developing their own, their, their own will. And it starts getting to where they're out of, um, out of his control. Um, like even, Victoria, he says, like, why do you think I was? I'm so taken aback. Is like I wrote you to where you're not coming, not coming back, but you came back anyway to see me with with Mary, right? So, so his characters are developing free will. I have a little bit, and I, I can't put my finger on it, a, a problem <laughs> with, like, so you're making these characters marry you, <laughs> right? Like, uh. I mean, do you, do you see uh, an issue with that? Yeah, it, there's there's definitely a, obviously a god complex that yeah, not necessarily like he's like oh I am God no <laughs> but he definitely has pretty much absolute power as far as these creations who they are what they are and whether they live or die. Um, yeah, so, like, like like he like he threatens Victoria, right? He's like, "Yeah, I can put you back in the safe. I can put this this envelope back in the safe, yeah. or I could burn it, right?" Like, you're basically threat. Like, even though she didn't know it, mm-hmm. he's basically threatening her life, right? Pretty much. Um, and there's there's something, you know, it's a lighthearted episode. Uh, Richard Matheson's original version was actually uh, had a much more serious tone, okay. but they made it a little bit jokey. Um, but that's it's a little dark. I think, yeah. I think he's not, he's not a good guy necessarily because to, to be like, you know what? I'm going to make a woman, uh, exactly how I want her. Who's subservient and caring and warm and all the stuff that, mm-hmm. that Mary is. Uh, it's kind of, you know, a little bit misogynist, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, it, it is, uh, well, again, Victoria, at, at least as far as we know, she is the first uh, woman that he creates at, to be his wife. And so he does go with the opposites attract rule of, okay, I'm 
quiet, uh, not very comfortable around people, or interesting, considering he's a playwright. <laughs> I mean, a, a novel writer it makes a little more sense, but a playwright typically is on the uh, the social scene, particularly since they have to work with directors and actors all the time right. on stage. I assume he's probably not too far from New York City and Broadway, the center, at, particularly at this point, of the playwright community. Yeah. <clears throat> so... So yeah, so he does go initially for the opposites attract venue with Victoria being strong and independent and uh, rich, very lordly. Obviously, she's a woman, but no. that kind of lordly status so that she basically is yeah. uh, nobility, mm-hmm. uh, aristocracy in the American sense. Yeah. So he did try it. And obviously he failed. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why he then's like, you know what? I've been liking Mary anyway, and pretty much for all practical reasons, this is very much an affair, so might as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that affair aspect, uh, the more I watch it, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a kind of a jerk thing. Like, if, if Victoria never found out about her, if he had never given in, like, like oh, she's not so drab, like, he probably most likely would have continued on this like this weird uh character <laughs> affair that mm-hmm. he, that he's having right yeah. i mean realistically he could have just been like rewrote her redictaphoned her character to be like victoria west ex-wife right feasibly he could have done that like we're on good terms. Yeah, but if, he, if he's <laughs> closing himself off from all people, then certainly he, he's not big on drama. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he could have. I, I mean, there's just there's other ways he he could have done it. Um, but again, if if Victoria hadn't found out, he could have just continued on with that affair. Uh, so that, that's kind of a, a jerk thing to do. Um, yeah, jerk. I mean, I would do it too. No, I'm joking. I wouldn't do that. I'd do it. Chelsea would murder me. <laughs> uh, which she does on another episode of this podcast. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so Daniel, tell me, what do you rank this episode out of out of whatever whatever number you want? Ten, thirty-five hundred. <laughs> um, of all the Twilight Zones you've seen, I will give you a reference point. As few as there are. <laughs> As an individual episode, I would say this is probably like a 7 out of 10. Okay. In the fact that, again, it's not really all that deep, um, mind-gripping type of episode. There's certainly a lot of hints and clues leading up to the different reveals Mm. and uh, a lot of things that you missed the first time watching it, so you need to watch it at least twice to then catch up on everything that was there. Right. Like, like some of the dialogue and stuff like yeah, that. Where it's like, there's, there's clues in the dialogue. Uh, it's a very, it's a solid episode. It is definitely worth a watch, uh, but it's certainly not one of the greatest. Right. Right. Uh, I, I would say I would agree with seven. I would give it the extra point just to have Rod. <laughs> this whole, yeah. The whole, the whole Rod stuff. Uh, it, that's a full point in and of itself yeah. for, for me. Um, well, awesome, man. I, I appreciate, appreciate you taking the time to, to watch the episode. Uh, so you are a writer, mm-hmm. uh, and you, so you've, writ- you've written your book. Can you tell us a little bit about, about your book? 
Yeah, uh, the Dyrex saga is actually a four-part science fantasy series, and so it starts. And the first book is pretty much a lot of fantasy, but then after the first book, a huge event occurs, and we actually go interstellar across the galaxy. And by the end of the second book, they actually arrive on Earth. So it does include all that. Um, and so it centers around uh, the people uh, called the Volstor. They're a alien race from the planet Volstra. And on this planet, there are dragons. And the dragons emit essentially called Dragon Sweat or Elon. And kind of like Element Zero in Mass Effect, this is the element that uh, enables magic, elemental manipulation. Okay. Uh, the dragons are a very pure, very noble race, and they form bonds with the Volstor, and the Volstor become mages. Well, eventually, uh, some of these mages use their magic for in malice, in darkness, so black magic. The dragons aren't, they don't like these emotions, and they are telepathic, so they're like, ah, I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> See ya, Joe. <laughs> Literally, that's, that's, that's what happens. And so they start breaking off bonds and uh, even threaten to go back into the wilderness forever if the uh, the faithful dragon mages don't uh, main, stay. So the Volster mages that are still bound basically cut themselves off in the black mages and they become second class citizens and segregation this eventually turns into war which of course then goes interstellar and then all of us have to pay for the choices that have been made by these characters mm. and that, and that's uh that's the key theme throughout this whole series yeah. is the argument of destination versus choice do our does our destination determine our choices or do our choices make our de destiny huh uh it's it's basically inspired from the entire gauntlet of geek culture obviously star wars mass effect uh very much styled after x-men as far as like how they fight like um, like, like different powers and stuff like that exactly mm -hmm. uh and then heavily heavily influenced in japan by japanese anime as far as like uh, style of the stories and the events and diversity of characters Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, how did it? How did you come about writing it? Like, what was what was the process in there? Uh, I figure out. <laughs> it's a question. Be um, because because when I read it initially, it was mm -hmm. uh, it was broken into. Oh, it wasn't broken yet. It was it was one long story, right? You yeah. did a little, some rewrite. Yeah. Uh, the first book actually was had kind of was basically supposed to be the prequel to the two other stories mm. i envisioned it actually as a japanese anime originally that was the original media but that eventually devolved I'm like well i can't i don't know any animators i don't know any comic strip artists and it eventually devolved into a novel okay and so it was supposed to be book two and three were the two series and then the prequel to explain how we got to this point uh how the firefox demon mentioned earlier came as he was uh and that was the prequel book, but okay. I actually had two essentially separate arcs in that story that I was advised by my editor to split into two books. So trilogy became a four part series. Oh, right on, right on. Um, so I have to ask, hmm. what exactly is Dyrex? Okay, the Dyrex is, in a ways, a MacGuffin, uh, but at the same time, not. 
it's the key element that an egg McGuffin. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, I always say that. It, it, it's a crystal made out of pure Elon uh, that amplifies the abilities of essentially the elemental powers of anybody who puts seals their powers in it for like 13 or 17 years. I haven't quite gotten that okay. <laughs> narrowed down how long do I want this to be, but it yeah. has to be incubated. But it is very much the element, the object that drives the entire story. So the first two books, they're looking. Well, the first book they make it. The second book they're looking for it, yeah. and the third and fourth book, the good guys actually have it the entire time. Huh. But the good guy who has it doesn't want it. Uh, like, and it kind of that whole you know, uh, Spider-Man uh, story, like great power comes great responsibility. Peter Parker doesn't want these powers; he wants to get rid of them. Yeah. And so that's how the hero in the Dirac's in the later books. Awesome, awesome. Uh, who who do, who would you propose this to? Like who who would be interested in reading it? Uh, like what what's your what's your audience uh pretty much anybody who classifies them as a geek i, well, I would would, you, would i would you classify me as that <laughs> <laughs> well considering you got spider-man there the dc here is yeah. there the star wars battlefront poster behind you don't don't just call out things that are in my, <laughs> my garage behind me <laughs> yes yes you're very much a geek so yeah pretty much any geek i would uh figure would like this it blends the the line between science fiction and fantasy so yeah uh, again, as I said, it took inspiration from all all the different geek venues and medias. So it's all about that storytelling and the depth of characters. Okay. So there are some, again, that goes into some deep moral ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, questions. So it might be more tuned for a older teens or adult audience. But pretty much if you identify yourself as geek and you can read Deadpool. You you should be fine with this. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, where where can they go to, to to read it? That's I think that's the most important question. Where can they go to read it? Well, it's not finished what? yet. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, uh, books one and two are still in their draft, uh, their uh, rewrite editing phase. Okay. Um, books three and four are still in outline phase right now. Uh, I don't have an official blog or newsletter yet so i guess the best way to you know, if if anyone out there is interested in uh email updates on this i just email uh me at d johnson that's my last name spelled out j-o-h-n-s-o-n dot writer at gmail.com again that's d johnson writer uh, sorry dot writer at gmail.com all right, cool. Well, good news. Whenever, whenever it gets published, uh, we'll throw some tweets out. Make sure that everybody knows where where to find you and okay. uh, and check it out. Because because uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, I did read it already, and it yeah. and it is pretty great. So uh, so I I sincerely appreciate you coming onto the show to not only talk about Twilight Zone, uh, but uh, you know tell us more about your book. Right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. For the rest of you, uh, this is the last episode of season one of The Twilight Zone. However, it's not the last episode of the season. I actually have one more episode, which is going to be the season recap. And I'm going to do talk about what we're looking forward to with season two of the show, uh, talk about some of the guests. But also, I want to take the opportunity to read some reviews, read some listener feedback, listener questions, listener input, every 
part of the way I record the episodes for uh, submitting for your approval, some of the guests are kind of here, there. I might do them out of, out of order. And what that does, it actually limits my ability to uh, incorporate some of the listener feedback. So I want to use the season finale of Submit for Your Approval to really kind of highlight some of your, your input. I, you know, I say every week that I love interacting with you, the listener, and it, it's, it's true. And I really want to um, put you guys in the spotlight a little bit more than me sometimes. <laughs> Uh, it's an introvert. I know it doesn't sound like I am, but I, I really, I really am. Uh, but here's here's what you do: shoot me a, a tweet, shoot me a direct message on on Twitter. Uh, I am at s4ya underscore podcast. Again, s4ya underscore podcast. Shoot me a message there. Uh, you can hit me up, of course, on Gmail. I am s4ya podcast at gmail dot com. I'm also on Facebook. You go over there, leave me leave me a message, shoot me a message. Or, this is brand new. I just did this like the other day. Uh, it is, I have a phone number that you can call, leave a voicemail. And that number is 860-GO-TZ-POD. I don't know what the numbers are for the GO-TZ-POD, right? But uh, it's, it's G-O-T-Z-POD. So that's, that's pretty straightforward, simple. But call that, leave a voicemail. Uh, I would love, love to to hear what you guys sound like. You know what I sound like. I don't know how you deal with it every week, but you do. And and hey, Godspeed to you. Uh, but please go out there. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about any of these episodes or the show itself. Uh, and finally, uh, I, I say this every week. Head over to iTunes. Shoot me a five-star rating or a four star or a one star. It, it doesn't matter. You know, it lets me know that you're listening and ideally that you're enjoying the, the show. And it gives me a reason to come back in uh, a month and a half, two months. So until next week for the end of season special and until mid October, mid late October for the new season, second season of Twilight Zone, all 29 episodes. I am Brandon Cruz. And thanks again, Daniel, for coming on. Thank you. And this is submitted for your approval.